following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity and was recorded at Westminster Chapel in Toronto. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ over every area of life, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. Well, good morning again, my brothers and sisters. And as we consider God's Word this morning, I want us to return to 1 Peter. Peter's letter was written to Christians who were living in exile, Christians who were scattered abroad in various provinces of the Roman Empire. And here we are again on this Lord's Day morning, and we find ourselves in exile, separated from the sanctuary. We are scattered abroad among the various neighborhoods of this city of Toronto. And Peter's letter to Christians living in exile, scattered abroad, is a letter that is fitting for us to hear again this morning. It's a letter written to us. And you'll remember how Peter begins this letter. He opens up with this word of blessing to the triune God, and he's blessing the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for the living hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he reminds us of the inheritance that we have. It is an inheritance which is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's kept in heaven for us. And remember the promise, the word of reassurance that Peter gives us that God's power is guarding us. God is protecting us. He will keep us for that last day so that we will come into that great inheritance. And there Peter also reminds us and he reassures us that even though we are grieved by various trials, there is a purpose in the trials. And God leads us through such time of testing so that he may purify our faith, and that he might turn our hearts to the Lord Jesus, to strengthen our faith, to kindle our love for the Lord. And Peter concludes that opening word of blessing with that wonderful description of our faith. Even though we don't now see the Lord Jesus, we believe in him, and we love him, and we rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory. That's how Peter begins the letter. And I want to pick it up in verse 10, and our attention This morning will be on verses 10 to 16. And here Peter is reflecting upon that great salvation, that great hope. And he tells us that the prophets of old searched and inquired carefully about this hope, about this salvation. He tells us that even angels long to look into it. And it's been revealed and made known and given to us. And for that reason, he says, because of that, we need to set our hope fully on the grace of God. And he says that we need to be holy as God is holy. And so that's God's word to us this morning. It is a word of command. He commands us to set our hope fully on his grace. And he commands us to be holy in all our conduct as he is holy. So first, let's turn to look at verse 13. Here we see that command to hope. Therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here Peter commands us, set your hope fully on God's grace. Set it completely, set it resolutely, set it totally on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Now, when he says that, he's not just telling us, hey, you need to try and be really optimistic or you need to, to really try and stir up hope within yourself. He doesn't mean that. Our hope is stirred up. Our hope is sustained by the object of our hope, which is God's grace revealed in Christ. As we think about Christ, as we fix our attention on Christ, then our hope is stirred up. Kids, think about it this way. I know there's children listening to this and watching this this morning, so I want to speak to you. I know this probably seems like a long time ago, and I know you're not really thinking about this right now, but remember Christmas. Think about those days leading up to Christmas Day. Think about Christmas Eve. Remember how excited you were Christmas Eve. Now, the reason you were excited is because you were looking forward to, you were eagerly anticipating, you were hoping for Christmas Day. You were looking forward to that day. And as you thought about Christmas, you got really excited. You got hopeful. And that's what Peter is saying to us about our hope. It's not that we just try and make ourselves hopeful. Kids, you didn't just try to make yourself excited. No, as you thought about Christmas Day, you got excited. And so it is for us as we set our minds on Christ, so that stirs up hope within us. As we think about Christ, we stir up and we, we become hopeful. And that's why Peter says here that we are to prepare our minds for action and to be sober-minded. Now, what it says there in English, prepare your minds for action, is a translation of a phrase which sounds kind of strange to our modern ears, but in the first century, it would have made perfect sense. So Peter literally says here, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Now, that, that sounds a bit strange to us, but in the ancient world, we need to remember that people didn't wear pants. They wore robes. And you can remember, you know, the pictures in your Bible of, of the way that people dressed in, in Bible times. It's why when we do a play for the nativity, you know, the shepherds, we dress up in, in bathrobes. People dressed in robes in the ancient world. And if you had to run, or if you had to fight somebody, or if you had to jump and leap, well, you needed to, to gird up your loins. That means you had to pull up your, your robes and tuck them into your belt. And then that would free up your legs and you could spring into action. Well, Peter says we need to do this with our minds. Do this with your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Have your mind ready. Ready for what? Ready to think. Ready to think about the grace that is brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Setting your minds on that. Fixing your attention, your thoughts on the Lord Jesus. And he also says be sober-minded. So think clearly about Christ. Don't have any illusions about him. Don't have any funny ideas about him. So stir up, stir up or, or gird up the, the loins of your mind and be sober-minded. Now the question is, how, how do we do that? What does that look like for us? Well, here I think it's important that we recognize that Peter begins, he says, Therefore, therefore prepare your minds. Therefore set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you on the day of Jesus Christ. And the reason he says, therefore, is because it's connected to what he's just said. And if you look at verses 10 to 12, there Peter is reflecting upon the prophets of old. And notice what he says there, that the prophets of the Old Testament, they searched and they carefully inquired about this salvation, about this grace, about Jesus Christ. 
They searched for him. They longed to know more. They recognized that that the Spirit was working in them and revealing things to them that they didn't quite fully appreciate or understand, but they longed to see the day when there would be that revelation of God's grace, there would be that revelation of Christ. And then Peter goes on to say that when the gospel, when the good news was brought to you, there was the same revelation, the same gift of grace that was presented to you. Now what Peter is saying here is that as we set our minds on Christ, as we fix our attention and our thoughts on the grace that is brought to us at the revelation of Christ, He's saying we turn our attention, we fix our thoughts on Scripture. The prophets, the Old Testament, speaks of Christ, speaks of this grace. Of course the New Testament, of course the writings of the apostles speak of this grace, reveal this grace. So if we are to gird up the loins of our minds, if we're to be sober-minded, if we're to set our hope fully on God's grace, on the revelation of Jesus Christ, then we need to fix our attention on Scripture. We need to turn to Scripture. We need to examine and search the Scriptures. Remember what Jesus said to His disciples. Remember in those 40 days after His resurrection, and that's the season that we're in right now. It's the season of Easter. It's the season of these 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and His ascension. Remember that He was with His disciples, and the Gospel writer Luke tells us that as He was with His disciples, He was opening up the scriptures to them. And he was opening up their minds to the scriptures. Showing them everything that the law of Moses, that the prophets, that the Psalms said about him. And so it is for us. We gird up the loins of our mind. We are sober-minded. We set our our hope fully on God's grace, on Christ, by looking to scripture. And as we open up the word of God... And even in the midst of this present crisis, we all have our Bibles. We all have the Word of God. We can all open up this Word. And the same Spirit that inspired these words will open up our minds to give us understanding. And so if we are to set our hope fully on the grace that is about to be revealed on the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, we are to be in the Word of God. We are to be in the Scriptures. Let's study Scripture. Let's have our mind set on these things. And as we do, let's focus on the promises of God. Let's remember Jesus' own promise that He will come again. As we look to that future day, let's set our hope on Him. Let's look for that day. And His grace, His mercy, His salvation, who He is, will only be finally and fully revealed on that last day. And so Peter says very much what the Apostle Paul says to us. Set your mind on the things that are above where Christ Jesus is. Not on the things that are on earth. So that's the first command that we have. Set your your hope fully on the grace that is brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And every time we open up the scriptures, every time we open up the word of God, the Spirit leads us to Christ and we have the revelation of Christ. And we do so knowing that one day He will fully and finally be revealed to us and we will see Him face to face. But then there's a second command. Be holy as as the Lord your God is holy. So look at verses 14 to 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, 
for I am holy. So yes, we daily open up the scriptures. We open up the word of God and we study it and we search it. And we study God's grace in this book. But we also open up the word of God that we might study and know the holiness of God. Our God is holy. Remember the experience of the prophet Isaiah. How he was caught up to the very throne room of heaven. And there he saw in his vision seraphim. These heavenly creatures with six wings. And... Day and night, continually, the seraphim are calling out, they're singing out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Holy, holy, holy. Our God is holy. And the holiness of God is that which distinguishes Him as God, as Creator, as Sovereign, as Judge, as Savior. It's the divine quality and characteristic of His presence, of His glory. And when we recognize the holiness of God, when we recognize that He is holy, we cannot help but fear Him. We cannot help but worship Him. The holiness of God is terrifying. The holiness of God is also beautiful. The holiness of God gives us comfort. The holiness of God is awesome. Now, here's the amazing truth revealed to us in Scripture. That we, who are the image of God, are called to share in His holiness and reflect His holiness here on earth. That's why He commands us, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now think of that angelic choir, that angelic chorus. Holy, holy, holy. God is totally and fully holy. And that's why Peter says that we are to be holy in all of our conduct. God is totally holy and we are to be fully and totally holy in all our conduct. So during this season, during this time when we are scattered abroad in this city of Toronto, we need to remember who we are. We are God's holy people. We're saints. And as we think about that, I want us to remember three truths of Scripture about what it means to be holy. First of all, we are made holy. God makes us holy. We don't make ourselves holy. We're made holy. Secondly, we're called to be holy. And that's what Peter calls us to in these verses. And then thirdly, we are called to make holy. We have a sanctifying presence on the earth. So first, we need to remember that we are made holy. We have been sanctified. This is the work of God's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the sanctifying spirit. The Holy Spirit makes us holy. He washes us by applying the cleansing blood of Christ to us. He clothes us in Christ. He consecrates us for His service. By God's Spirit, we are cleansed, we are clothed, we are consecrated. Now, there's a beautiful picture of this at the end of the book of Exodus. And I encourage you this week to read that. Exodus chapter 40. Halfway through that chapter, we see this work of consecration. 
and Moses is instructed to anoint everything in the tabernacle with oil. Anoint all of the curtains, anoint the whole tent, anoint all of the furnishings, anoint all of the utensils. Everything is anointed and made holy. And then we read that Aaron and the priests are anointed with oil. And Aaron's robes are anointed with oil. Everything is consecrated. Everything is made holy. And that's true of us too. We have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. We have been consecrated. We've been set apart for His purposes, for His service. And then at the end of that chapter, the end of the book of Exodus, we read that the glory of the Lord descended and it filled the tabernacle. And so it is with us. We are anointed by the Holy Spirit. We're consecrated and set apart and then we are filled with His Spirit. We are made holy. We've been anointed. We've been clothed. We've been filled. But then secondly, we are called to be holy. And that's the commandment that Peter repeats from the Old Testament. Be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, the utensils, the furnishings, the tabernacle, the priestly garments, the priests, they were anointed, they were made holy because they were set apart for God's service. They were set apart for holy service. And they were in the very presence of God. And they were holy. And so it is for us. We have been anointed, we've been made holy for a purpose, for His service. To be holy as He is holy. And this is a reality for us now. And even in these present circumstances, we're His holy people set apart for His holy service. Now Peter quotes the book of Leviticus here when he says, You shall be holy for I am holy. He's quoting Leviticus 19 verse 2. And it's helpful for us as we're thinking about what does it mean to be holy to go to Leviticus 19 and just read that command in the context of Leviticus 19. So I want us to hear the first four verses of that chapter. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. And you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols and make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. Now notice what it means to be holy in this context. First of all, revere your father. Revere your mother. And kids, let's remember that in this season, especially as you're at home, remember God's word to you. Revere your father. Revere your mother. Listen for their voice. Listen to their voice. Obey them. Honor them. And then we're told here that to be holy as he is holy is to keep Sabbath. Now think about it. Our schedules have been disrupted. The the rhythm and routine of our day-to-day life has been disrupted. We're used to the schedule of work and school, of Monday to Friday and then weekends. We're used to coming to church on a Sunday for worship. There's a rhythm. And we find stability in that rhythm. We flourish in that rhythm. But now it seems like every day is just like the other day. And we've lost that rhythm. We've, we've lost that structure. 
in our day-to-day lives and in, in our week-to-week lives. Well, here we have the reminder that as God's holy people, we keep Sabbath. And during this time, when the routine and rhythm of life has been disrupted, God's rhythm has not been disrupted. And we need to keep that rhythm of six days of work and one day of Sabbath. So as God's holy people, let's work and let's rest. And then the third thing that we see in Leviticus 19 is do not turn to idols. And this is what Peter is getting at when he says, don't be conformed to the passions or the desires of your former ignorance. Don't turn to idols. You came out of idolatry. That's the pattern of the world. It's idolatrous. Don't, don't go after that pattern. Do not turn to idols. If you are holy as I am holy, you will not turn to idols. Now, I've been leading some of us through a Wednesday evening Bible study in the prophecy of Isaiah. And throughout Isaiah, especially in chapters 40 to 55, again and again, God is addressing the people who have turned to idols, and he calls them to turn to him. In Isaiah 41, God announces that he's going to bring judgment. And so he says to all the nations, to all the peoples, turn to me and renew your strength. But instead, the people are afraid. The nations fear. And they don't turn to the Lord for strength. Instead, we read that they turn to one another. Each turns to his neighbor and says, be strong, be strong. Well, I was talking about Isaiah 41, but the battery in the camera ran out. It's just a reminder that this is not how things are supposed to be. Uh, I think you would not expect on a Sunday morning for my batteries to run out and all of a sudden for me to stop, but that's what happened. So we were in Isaiah 41. And there, in response to God's judgment, the people turn to one another. Each says to his neighbor, be strong, be strong. And then the craftsman says to the goldsmith, make an idol. And as he makes the idol, he says, and they say together, it is good. The idol is good. And then they nail the idol down to the table so that it cannot be moved. And they say, it is strong. Well, this sounds very much like the response of Canadians, the response of the nations today. Yes, they are afraid, but each turns to his neighbor and says, be strong, be strong. And the, uh, the, the medical experts and uh, the media say to the politicians, you know, it is good. It is strong. It cannot be moved. So we see a very similar response as we see in Isaiah. But then Isaiah goes on, and God goes on in Isaiah 47 to warn that if the people resist him, if they don't turn to him, he will expose the folly and the ignorance of their idolatry. And this was a passage that I gave us to read in the order of service. Isaiah 47, starting at verse 10. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge lead you astray, and you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. In other words, you thought you were God. You claimed to be God. Now, doesn't this describe the arrogance and the pride of the West in recent years? But, God warns, evil shall come upon you which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone, and ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know 
nothing. Now, this, doesn't this describe the situation today? We don't know how to charm away the virus. We don't know what, how to, what the models should be. We don't know how to predict how this will spread, what the outcomes will be, what kind of resources we need in terms of uh, hospitals and, and medical support. Stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries, your, your models, your graphs, your predictions. Stand fast. With which you have labored from your youth, perhaps you may be able to succeed. Yes, perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. Well, that is true. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. And then God goes on to say in verse 15, There is none to save you. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. Well, that is a prophetic picture of the reality that we see going on around us. And in the midst of that, God says, stop turning to the experts. Stop turning to the authorities for your salvation, for the answers. Instead, he says, turn to me. Isaiah 46, verses 10 and 11. I am God. There is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand. Yeah, we don't know the future. But, but God, the only God, declares the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things not yet done. His counsel shall stand. We're wearied by many counsels. His counsel shall stand. And I will accomplish all my purpose. Now this same God calls on the nations in the midst of all this and says, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is no other. And the same God says to us, Be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Do not turn to idols. Turn to me and be saved. So we are made holy. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. We're commanded to be holy. Don't turn to idols. Don't turn to the fallen pattern of this world. And thirdly, we make holy. We are sanctified. We're called to be holy. But we also sanctify. We are, as God's holy people, a sanctifying presence on the earth. And we need to remember that as God's holy people, we are a holy priesthood. We are priests. And God's sanctifying presence in Scripture is often symbolized with the burning of incense. You know, the sweet-smelling aroma, it's sanctifying, it's cleansing, it's purifying. And the smoke of the incense signifies the glory cloud, the presence of God. Now, we are called to be this sanctifying presence through our prayers, because incense is also a symbol of prayer in Scripture. And this is a time for us, as God's holy people, to be fervent in prayer, to pray to cry out to God on behalf of the nations. Now, there's opportunity for us. In the morning at 8 o'clock, we gather for prayer on Zoom. You can be a part of that. We also have a prayer calendar, and you can sign up for a time slot on that prayer calendar. Now, it's my hope that the whole calendar is filled, that at any moment of the day, 
we can see there someone from our congregation is praying. And in the order of service, you can see in the announcements below where we have opportunity to pray, where you can sign up to pray. But I also want you to consider this. And here I want to conclude with this image from the book of Numbers. This is Numbers chapter 16. It involves a plague. It involves the very circumstance that we find ourselves in right now. The people had been grumbling. The people had been rebelling in the wilderness. And God sent a plague upon them. But when Moses and Aaron turned to the Lord, God told Aaron, go into the midst of the camp, into the midst of the congregation with incense. And Aaron did that. He ran into the center of the congregation and he burned the incense and he stood between the living and the dead and the plague stopped. Well, we are God's holy people. We are his priests and we are called to offer up the incense of intercessory prayer in the midst of this pandemic. And this is what it looks like for me. Every morning I go out for a walk around my neighborhood and I intercede for my neighbors. I pray for them. And I see myself as God's priest. I am like Aaron walking out into the neighborhood with the incense, standing between the living and the dead, pleading for God to stop the plague. Now, let's do that in this city of Toronto. We're scattered abroad in neighborhoods, yes. But God's put us in those neighborhoods. So let us walk through our neighborhoods and offer up the intercessory prayer, the sweet-smelling aroma, the incense to our Heavenly Father. And so today, as we consider 1 Peter, we hear these commandments. First, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's set our minds on the things that are above where Christ is. Let's search for him in the scriptures. Let's study him. Let's study grace. Let's study our Savior. But then secondly, we are called to be holy as he is holy in all our conduct. This means we're not turning to idols. It means that we're not getting carried away trying to look at the different models and statistics and findings and looking for our hope there. It's not there. It's in our Lord. His counsel will stand. And we are called to be holy as He is holy. Revere your father and your mother. Keep Sabbath. And pray. We are God's priests in the midst of this pandemic. And we are called to go out into our neighborhoods and perform this priestly service of intercession on behalf of the nations. Amen. This message has been brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share this content, but do not charge for it or alter it in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. For more resources, please visit ezrainstitute.ca.